Welcome to a special episode of Killing Time, hosted by two girls. Period. That's it. That's two gals it. today. That's all you're getting. I think that this is the first Killing Time that we've ever done solo. Well, dual solo without the, a third. We are just one, which is fine. Solo will do. Absolutely. So we decided to do this type of an episode of a Killing Time because. Obviously, there's been a lot going on in the Moscow murders, and the affidavit just came out. We are recording this on January 6th, a Friday, so whatever we're going to be talking about today is what we know at this very moment, and because the affidavit came out yesterday, there's a lot to talk about, and we thought we would do a whole episode dedicated to that. Yeah, because Jack and I, I mean, I haven't been posting about it publicly. Jack's done some TikToks as the news has been breaking, and but like we are completely obsessed with understanding this case i've been so sad thinking about the victims families over the holidays how scary this whole ordeal was for those whose lives were stolen like i've been spending a lot of time thinking about them and we just had to get to sort of the bottom of this affidavit and we figured we'd take all of you along with us Absolutely. And um, I have been posting like on TikTok about it, but I've been very sparing about it because this has turned like the true crime community on TikTok into a fucking frenzy. And so much of it has been really heartbreaking and horrible because there's been so many like armchair detectives and internet sleuths like trying to make their own theories up and ruining people's lives like in the process of it. There was like a... um, It was a professor that one girl ended up trying to prove that she was the murderer. And now that professor is suing the TikToker for defamation and slander because it's like, you can't just do that. And that's why when I've been posting the TikToks, I've just been kind of being like, this is the news. This is the facts that have broken. And that's it. Very little, um, you know, of my opinion. Speculation. Yeah. And speculation can be really dangerous. And we're going to talk about some of that because I've been seeing some stuff online with some of the recent developments that are just it's just like unacceptable. Yeah. Um, And we'll we'll get into all that as we as we come across it, because we have plans for um, how to lay all this out for you. But We're just going to sort of summarize at the very top. We're sure you know about this already, but on the evening of November 12th, 2022, four University of Idaho students, Madison Mogan, Kaylee Concalves, Zana Kernodal, and her boyfriend, Ethan Chapman, were all out and about with friends before returning to their three-level off-campus house on King Road at about 1.45 a.m. So Zana, Madison, Kaylee, and two other females lived at this house, and they were all roommates. Ethan was staying the night at his girlfriend's house, and that's Zana. So he was sleeping over that night but didn't live there. And the police the next morning, well, the next day at noon, were called alerting them to a possible unconscious person at the scene. That's what the initial reporting was. Right. And what the police discovered when they arrived was beyond anybody's worst nightmares, and it would captivate the nation to this day as we're recording this. So Madison, Kaylee, Zana, and Ethan had all been horrifically murdered. The crime stunned the college community of Moscow, sparking weeks of speculation and thousands of tips before accumulating in an arrest seven weeks after the killings occurred. So now, at this very point, the arrest has been made. Questions loomed as we waited for Brian Koberger to be extradited from Pennsylvania to Idaho for the probable cause affidavit to be unsealed so we could learn how the police zeroed in on this alleged killer. And it finally has been. So we're going to sift through this entire affidavit for you. It was 19 pages long. There's a lot of info in the document. So I thought that we could kind of go through it from start to finish and talk about it. Yeah. Before we do, though, um, some of the stuff I've seen on the news, I love to talk about it because I remember okay. just seeing his face when they said they made an arrest. Like a hundred people texted it to me and his yeah. face terrified me. Um, I don't know what I was expecting, but like now I've also been seeing um, news reports of him driving with his dad and it's all very surreal. Um to see this he is a it's it's so fucking cliche right but like he is a quintessential scary terrifying sociopath with dead black eyes and what's so weird to me is that he's 28 but he strikes me as someone who's like 40 he's got a really weird vibe 
I mean, there's so many comments of people being like, that is the oldest 28 year old I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, and just his vibe. It's been weird because I think in the past week, we're now seeing video of him, you know, uh, being in the courthouse, being arraigned and coming in and out and the traffic stop and all that. So we're kind of seeing his mannerisms and he's really fucking terrifying and very like, uh, quiet confidence and like, it's just it's very upsetting yeah and we um have learned a lot about him which we can touch on when we're done going through the affidavit just like about his personal life and family and his family initially spoke out saying they're supporting him and they want to see this presumption of innocence you know system unfold but that was before the affidavit came out so i'm curious I'm curious how they feel after reading all the evidence because it's pretty significant. I did see, again, this could be room. It's so hard kind of to sift through information unless it's literally coming from an official court document or from the police. But I did hear that the parents are not supporting and are not paying for his counsel. I don't think they're paying for the counsel because he was given a, a public defender. But... I saw when he was arraigned, I saw his sister. His sister had like blonde hair and pigtails and the mom in there. So like somebody was there to, yeah. to show up for him. Um, unclear as to whether that remains after the evidence, you know, because at the time he's like, I'm going to prove my innocence. But no one had seen any of the evidence against him yet, not even his family. So right, it'll be interesting to see how all of this unfolds. Do we want to kind of talk about his personal life and stuff first, or do we want to do that after the affidavit? Because I think we could kind of dive into that right now. Let's dive into it now. What do you want to start with? Um, You go. So I have just been reading articles about him. And obviously, I mean, if you have been following this case at all, you know that he was a criminology PhD student, that he studied criminal justice in undergrad, that he studied psychology, um, well-educated. You learn from high school that he used, in high school, he was overweight. He now is not, and he's hyper, hyper vegan, very controlling about his diet. We learned that he was a teacher's assistant, super hard grader, until after... The murders, apparently he lightened up and was giving everyone hundreds, which is the most bizarre shit I've ever heard. Right. And then also, I think that his it was his aunt and uncle that spoke out and they were talking about when he would come over and they would be cooking for him. And he like did not want any of his food touching any pots or pans that meat had touched. So he was like a crazy, crazy vegan, which has got to be the most ironic thing in this entire story like it's fucking disgusting well it's actually interesting i was talking to matt about this for those of you listening who don't know my boyfriend is vegan um he writes vegan cookbooks but he's not annoying like he'll eat off of my fork that had meat on it he's not this guy right yeah and he's like i'm not surprised at all because it's a control thing and especially you know he seems like a very regimented weird person you know and jack do you want to talk about what is what he posted on reddit that's since been deleted about like that had to do with his school. Yeah. I mean, we can get into that right now. Let me pull up the screenshots. Um, but yeah, what I was going to say, I'm like, uh, he wasn't a vegan for like, any moral. Certainly not <laughs> reasons. No. Um, okay. So yeah, we can get into this now. This is as of today when we're recording this, More I may mean, come this, out in the next week. Yeah. We're going to, but like, who knows what kind of info is going to come out in the next couple of days. Maybe right. not that much. And maybe we'll I think- update it. Yeah, but I think that there was a gag order uh, for the police, uh, so I don't right, know how right. much is actually going right. to come out. Uh-huh. Anyways, so now I'm sure if you know anything about the case, you know that he made this survey that he posted on Reddit to the ex-con subreddit, and basically the survey was asking all of these ex-cons about crimes that they had committed in the past, and more specifically, their thoughts and their feelings and their emotions while committing these crimes, and sort of their thought process of... What choices they made and why they made them. Like, why did you choose that entry point? How did you feel? What? Why did you choose your weapon? How did you choose what time? Or how did you choose your victim? Like, this shit, kind of like what he did, if he is, in fact, the killer. Right, and this is one of the things that I had made a TikTok about. Again, no opinions, really, other than the fact that it's really fucking weird. Yeah. And I I got so much, um, like weird feedback about it being like well no this is what like a criminal criminology student would post about and i'm like well it is weird 
retrospectively, now that we know what he did, like this is really, really strange behavior because it's like you're trying to get into the mind of a criminal and or, or a murderer or whatever. And he's probably sort of if he's a sociopath, like it's like he might be like taking these little things from every answer that he is getting to plan whatever he is going to plan in the future. Yeah, definitely. And I had um, I read an article where one of the students who one of his peers um, in his criminology PhD spoke and she said that he would get in very hostile arguments with people in class. He was a contrarian and that one female student like stormed out because he was mansplaining and so rude, like that he had this kind of reputation of being really combative and difficult and like a know-it-all, right. um, which again, does not surprise me about this dude. This dude looks like people I would fight with in class who just think they're, I just, I know this guy, not on a dangerous level, but I've been annoyed at people like this before. Oh my God. I think that we all know somebody that is like that. And they're the most annoying fucking people in the entire world ever. But you know, the more we're learning about him, it really, I keep telling people, I'm like, this is going to be one of the most shocking crimes of our generation just because of all the, 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 context like i saw an article the other day and it was btk's daughter mm -hmm. on with a journalist and she's like i fear that he may have been uh communicating with my father because he studied brian did under kathleen um catherine ramsland who's a profiler yeah. and so it's like is he was he like i'm fascinated to know what the police found on his computers like so much will come out if there's a trial and if there's not a trial there's going to be so many questions. I, I just I hope there is, but I don't want that for the families if they don't want it. I know. Well, and that's, a, that's the craziest thing. It's like the more that we learn, the more that we realize what we don't know and how many questions there could be. Cause it's like, there's a lot of whys once you learn more and more information, because especially the fact, and again, this goes back to these internet sleuths that are like blaming the other roommates, blaming the ex-boyfriends, blaming their teachers. It's like, this guy was on the police's radar immediately, but he was on nobody's radar publicly. So it's like, we obviously do not know anything that is going on as like a, a, anybody from the outside. Yeah. And I want to give the police a shout out because they were getting so much flack and so. turns out they had a suspect the whole time. Right. But everyone's like, it's been a month. That being said, I was floored when it was like week seven. I was like, they might not solve this. Like if they don't have him yet. I was terrified, but it turns out they were just really dotting their I's and crossing their T's, and they did a really good job. Like, when you read this affidavit, it's like they were on top of it moment one and kept it really close to the vest, and the investigation didn't suffer because of it. So I think no. internet sleuths, they mean well. It's why I never engage in that kind of thing no. um, because, like, I don't give the police a chance, you know? It was not a cold case. It never was. Well, and that's what was so interesting because it's like they were releasing basically no information, right? Yeah. They they released the information about the white Elantra. And what I thought was so interesting is they what they were asking people to look for was the wrong year. And they did that purposefully because they they already knew it, it was him. They ha I think his car was a 2015 or 2016. And I think they're asking for a 2011 to 13. They wanted to see what he was going to do. Yeah. And we're going to tell you what he did because exactly. it's fucking mind blowing um, because he, it, it worked. They, they were doing that to stimulate him, to follow him and it worked and the police fucking killed it. Um, we can't wait to delve into this with you. Where do you want to yeah. start Jack? Um, so let's, let's go through the affidavit. And then after we're done with that, I do want to talk about this, this Facebook thing Absolutely. because I think it's super interesting and it'll kind of tie everything together once we go through all of the evidence that we have. So totally. Do you want to kick it off? Sure. You haven't so, seen this affidavit. What it essentially is, is it a, is a police narrative of the scene and how they acquired evidence. So they start with entering the home. Right. So they entered, and this is a three-story house. There's two bedrooms on the first floor. There's two bedrooms on the second floor. Oh, no, there's two bedrooms on the first floor. There's one on the second, and there's two on the third. Right. So when they entered... West bedroom on the second floor, they found Zana's room and they realized it was hers because her driver's license and other belongings were in there. And Zana was there um, just before the bathroom door. And that's where she was. And she had wounds which were caused by a sharp edge weapon. And Ethan Chapman, her boyfriend, was also in the room with her. And he, like we said, was sleeping over um, at her house that night after a night out. 
And I think uh, to this point right now, I think it was really interesting because I think when the police first uh, released information, I'm pretty sure that they said that everybody was killed while they were sleeping. Yeah. And if Xana was found near the door, she was obviously awake. And we're going to learn a little bit more in a second about um, why she was awake. Right. And um, we... I also heard that Xana had defensive wounds. Um, yeah. So I think what happened, I'll just keep reading and then I'll, we'll speculate. So yeah. the third floor had two bedrooms and one bathroom. And the two bedrooms belonged to Kaylee and Madison, who were best friends from high school. But Kaylee had like kind of moved out and she was sleeping in Madison's room in the same bed. But in Kaylee's room, she had her dog locked up and the dog was unharmed. Um, and the dog belonged to Kaylee and her ex-boyfriend. So when officers entered Madison's room, both of the girls were in bed deceased. Um, they were sharing a bed that night and they were they were killed in their bed. So while he's like kind of going through the room, he noticed what and then I'm going to kind of read this like verbatim and then we can talk about it. He said, I also later noticed what appeared to be a tan leather, leather knife sheath laying on the bed next to Morgan's right side when it was viewed from the door. The sheath was later processed and had Kabar, USMC, and the United States Marine Corps Eagle Globe and anchor insignia stamped on the outside of it. And it said the Idaho State Lab later located a single source of male DNA left on the bottom snap of the knife sheath. So... This is huge information that we just learned about. And what we don't, what isn't included in the, in the affidavit, which we can talk about right now, is how essential this DNA was and how it was used. Right. So what I thought was so fascinating was that they used genetic genealogy to identify Kober's family. And they did it in an active case. We only usually see genetic gene genealogy up to this point. We, we see it to identify um, unidentified victims mm -hmm. and cold cases. Yeah. It's usually seen as like a last resort, but here they weren't wasting any fucking time and they brought the FBI in right away. And I think this is what they were working on. Um, and they essentially found someone in his family and was just like, sup, do you have any relatives in Idaho? And yeah. it was like, yeah, actually. And that's how they got his name. And it, he happened to have Elantra and I was just blown away. And the DNA, like, God, he left this thing behind and he's probably like, God damn. So, yeah, I have a, a question about this. So, I mean, we can skip. This is at the end of the affidavit, but we can talk about it right now. They ended up finding his DNA through his father because they're going through trash at his parents' house. And then they ended up matching it like a 99.99998% or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So my question is, if they were following him because they were like on his tail following him for at least, I think, four days before they arrested him. Why don't you think that they tried to find trash from him? Was it just easier to get trash at the parents' house? I think my personal theory is that he probably lived in an apartment complex and it's oh. really hard to get a surreptitious sample that way from trash because you you don't have you you have to sift through trash and you don't know which trash comes his? from which apartment uh, exactly. And also um, because he has no criminal record, normally it's like, oh, there's a sample we can match it to. He had no, he had no history. Like they didn't have right. a sample of his DNA. So um, his dad is probably enough. And after, even if they matched it with genetic genealogy, they would need a surreptitious sample to confirm. But my guess, because it's a good question, would be just because he lives in a big building with lots of people. Right. That, and that without totally a warrant, it has to be on the street. Interesting. Creepy. Um, okay, so do we want to now this the knife sheath thing I feel like is the the smoking gun kind of in everything that's going on. And we can should I talk about the Facebook thing now? Yes. So Jack found this thing on Facebook which directly links to the knife sheath, but also brings about more about this dude's psychology. So brace yourselves because it's super strange. Okay, and so maybe I, we can even show the TikTok, can we? Yeah, so I didn't find this. Um, many people have found it on TikTok. she found the TikTok of someone <laughs> talking about it. I found it on my For You page. So basically, there was this group. Let me pull up the exact name of it. It was called the University of Idaho Case Dis Discussion. Now, this was made, obviously, after the Moscow murders. And it was, I think, for people that went to University of Idaho to talk about everything that was going on. So after, you know, the murder happened, all these people joined, they're talking about the murder. And there was somebody in this Facebook group named Papa Roger, obviously an alias. It's not the person's name. 
And they were posting some really, really bizarre things. Now, I sent a picture of the avatar that they were using to Alexis. Now, do we want to describe what the avatar looks like? Yes. And I think if you're watching video with us today, we're going to show it. He looks like an aged version of our suspect, um, yeah. like like twins, like really similar. And he's dressed in a military uniform because Jack and I were wondering, I mean, this guy doesn't have military experience, but so what is this knife about? Who does it belong to? Maybe a right. grandfather, who knows? Yeah. And it, it, the, the avatar is a, it's like a rendering. It almost looks like those AI renderings that everybody was getting made a few weeks ago for that. They're paying like 30 right. bucks to make them that I also did, but they're really cool. <laughs> but yeah, it looks like it's like a 55, 60 year old version of him. Yeah. So this Papa Roger guy, he is in this Facebook group obsessively making posts about the murders. And now when you're looking back uh, they're really fucking weird. So I'm going to read the specific one that has to do with the knife sheath that the guy posted about. So Papa Roger on November 30th. So this is two weeks after the murder. Uh, he said of the evidence released, the murder weapon has been consistent with a large fixed knife blade. This leads me to believe that they found the sheath. This evidence was released prior to the autopsies. So this how would is, he know that? How would he know that the knife sheath was... How did he even know there was a knife sheath? Or the killer brought it with them? Like, well, this is a very pointed, specific post to be made. Well, and other users are being like, why would you think there's a sheath? Why would you think there's a sheath? Like, there's no evidence that there's a sheath. Like, unless it was you and you know you left your sheath. Exactly. But, like, why would he do... Like, if it is him and if he left a sheath and that Facebook user is him, why would he do this? Like, it's just more evidence against him. It looks so bad. Well, what I see, it seems to be like once you look at all of his posts, it's really fucking disgusting. But I think he's getting off on the fact that people are talking about him, right? Yeah. If this was him, because he goes on and I'll, I'll read you some of the posts. Like, he goes on to make, I mean dozens if not hundreds of posts about very very specific things about the murder to you know to spark this conversation from all of the users right so he ends up getting into this fight with this guy named dustin in the facebook group and the guy is just like why are you asking these weird questions like this has no relevance to anything this is very specific and to the fact that somebody ends up saying that he sounds really fucking creepy and it's like this guy sounds like a serial killer yeah he sure does so it's just like it, it, there's so many comments on it that I'm trying to sift through, but that is the w the one specific thing in regards to the knife sheath. But do you want me to tell you some of the other posts that he made? Sure. But I also want to say it goes like if it is him in the Facebook group, it goes along with what we've seen from him on Reddit. With right. He's like surveys and like wanting to talk through like it probably is him instigating more like speculation because you're right. He's like living. He's thriving in this because he was doing this on Reddit with other people's crimes. Now he's seeing people doing it with his. Right. I mean, he's totally getting off on it. Right. So they're in the beginning of this one TikTok. It's from Mama Mystery Podcast. I want to credit her. So she it posts that one of the things from a survey and it says, why did you choose that victim or target over others? And in the Facebook group, this user posted, why did the killer choose that house over all the others in the area? And what do we think is the entrance point to the crime scene? So if you've read this survey that he did, it's these very, very like pointed questions. And another one was how to, on the Reddit survey was, how did you accomplish your goal? Please explain what you were thinking and your feeling. And on the Facebook group, it says, and this is cut off, one knife and four people. The killer took a big risk. The killer could have easily broke, the knife could have easily broken off or become ineffective, ineffective on one or two of the murders. Are we sure there's only one knife involved? So it's like these really bizarre, mm -hmm. very specific questions. Do we think the killer took anything from the house? How long do we think the killer was in the house? And in well, the Reddit survey, before leaving, is there anything else you did? How did you leave the scene? Yeah, right. And the things that you just mentioned, like the timeline in this case, which we'll get to, is one of the most shocking elements. But before we get into that, this came out. Everyone's talking about this now. Are you ready to move on for the next subject? Let me just read you a few okay. more of these posts. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought you were done. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of go through them really fast just so you can get a, like an idea of like the, uh, volume of what this yeah. guy was posting. So 
One of the posts, the date of the killing was chosen on purpose. Thoughts? Another post. Four weeks in and no suspects. What is the motive? Another post. How long do we think the killer was in the house? What do we think the height and weight of the killer is? Regardless of what has been released, I believe this is a sexually motivated crime, which is interesting. Did the killer walk, drive, or some combination of both to the scene? How did the killer leave the scene? Did he clean up at all? Did the killer stop at four victims out of exhaustion, convenience, or lack of knowledge? And uh, the killer is not in the victim's immediate circle. The killer is not a student. Thoughts. Can someone post the evidence showing where the bodies were found? And then this is my favorite one. I feel like the white car isn't relevant. Yeah, uh, you would. (laughs) Of course you do. Oh, my God. And that that post had like 250 comments probably being like... uh, why do you think, think it's irrelevant? Cause it's the yeah. one thing the police said is relevant. Yeah. So anyways, I'm fascinated by that. And, um, right after he was arrested, all of the activity of that user stopped. And then a couple days later it was, the account was deleted. So I don't know if maybe if this was him, of course, this is speculation and nothing is confirmed, but if it was him, maybe the police deactivated the account for, to save evidence. Et cetera. Yes. I bet you they, copied it and deactivate like or just or have it a like shadow account archived through facebook yeah something so anyways no i mean it's terrifying and if it is him like these serial killers keep upping the ante like the golden state killer was scary enough and now it's like this dude is just terrifying and i think that's everybody's fixation like why if they don't if he doesn't know any of them and we still don't know this is just too fucking scary One of the most confusing things that has come out in this affidavit that I've seen on like every news headline is information that police got from one of the roommates who was not harmed during the attack. Right. Now, now their their names have been made public, but I'm not going to say say it here um, because I'm like her defender because everybody. Let me just read it to you first. So, first of all, it reads so. The roommate said she was awoken at approximately 4 a.m. by what she stated sounded like Kaylee playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which was located on the third floor. Wait, before you uh, go forward, right before that, the, it was talking in the affidavit about how Xana received that DoorDash order at 4 a.m. So maybe we should do timeline first. Okay, yeah. so we know that the four victims were home before 2 a.m. Yeah. Like it goes back and forth, 1.30, 1.25, whatever. Everybody in the house, I think, was home by 2 a.m. Sure, but this timeline where this happened is super, super tight. So Xana had DoorDash delivered at 4. And I was talking about this last night. I'm like, that DoorDash driver, holy shit. Oh, my God. You know? So, and then we know that at 4.12, Xana was on TikTok. Right. So she was awake at 4.12 in the morning. Right. So what we also know is that at around 4.17, a security camera 50 feet from Xana's bedroom on a neighboring house, so it was the next door neighbor's house, caught noise, which sounded like a dog barking, and it sounded like maybe whimpering or crying. So they heard that. And then a large thump, I think it said as well. Right. And then the cameras on neighboring homes that caught the Elantra sees it zooming away at around 425. So this shit happened between within DoorDash came at four. So it had to be between four, like 412 and 425. This should happen in 15 minutes. I can't, that is so, so fucking crazy to me. It is so crazy and well-planned. You know, yeah. and and so close. Like there was a DoorDash driver and like she was awake and all of this is going to come circling back now when we hear from the roommate who survived, right? Well, also, I think an interesting point is there was so much speculation about if the killer was like waiting in the house or if they had snuck in or something. So obviously this now cuts out the possibility of the killer had snuck into the house before and was waiting for them to get home because there is no forced entry anywhere, right? That we no know forced of. entry, but do we know when we first saw the Elantra enter the neighborhood. Cause like me, I still don't know quite about that. Yeah. I have this. Um, let me find it really quick. 
Okay, so as far as um, his car being spotted in the neighborhood, so on the affidavit, it says a review of footage from multiple videos obtained by the King Road neighborhood, that's the street that they're on, showed multiple sightings of suspect vehicle one starting at 3.29 a.m. and ending at 4.20 a.m. So, and this is really important too, because he says, based off my experience as a patrol officer in this area, very limited number of vehicles Uh, travel in the area during the morning hours and it says upon review of the video there are only a few cars that enter and exit this area during this time frame but this one specific white elantra is coming in and out four different times within that very very short period of time right when i read that i was like oh so he like drove by a bunch of times and it's was he psyching himself up was he waiting for doordash to leave like what was he doing and also if you're trying to get away with it like what was he thinking like with everyone's ring cameras and shit now, first of all, don't try to get away with murder. But, like, if he's thinking he's all Joe criminology, right? Like, it just doesn't seem <laughs> smart. And we'll, we're going to get to the uh, whole turning his phone off for the just that period of time when he was committing these murders, too. It's like, this guy is the stupidest fucking criminal of all time. Maybe ever, yeah. But... Real quick, so one of the, gr- like, sh- earth-shattering things that we're seeing a lot now is... Apparently, one of the surviving roommates on the first floor saw the suspect, Yeah, which is causing a lot of confusion for people. But um, we'll just read exactly her account. So she had been home. I think she went to bed around 1.30 or something. And she stated that she woke up at around 4 a.m. by what sounded like Kaylee playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms on the third floor. Yeah. A short time later, she said... She thought she heard Kaylee say something to the effect of, there's someone here. So Zana was awake at this time. So while this is happening, Zana's in her room on TikTok with Ethan. Yeah. So the roommate then said she looked out of her bedroom but didn't see anything when she heard the comment about, could someone be in the house? Then she opened the door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Zana's room. So she thinks she hears a weird noise, maybe crying coming from Zana's. And then she thinks she hears a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you, which is Ugh. fucking terrifying. So scary. Fucking terrifying. And I don't even want to speculate as to why he would have said that, maybe to cause Zan- calm Zana down after murdering her boyfriend, or maybe, he- I-, I don't know, yeah. but it makes me sick to my stomach. So this is the the part of this affidavit that's really causing a lot of questions to be asked. So the surviving roommate then says she opened her door for the third time after she heard crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. Describing the figure as 5'10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The male walked past her as she stood in a frozen shock phase. Then the male walked towards the back sliding glass door and she locked herself in her room after seeing the mail. She didn't recognize him, but like, okay, so everyone is freaking out being like, why didn't she call the cops? She what saw ha- the murderer. She should have called the cops immediately. Whatever. Yes. Um, first of all, everyone was out drinking this night. So maybe she was drunk. Maybe she was fucking scared and locked her door. And maybe her phone wasn't, I keep being like, maybe her phone wasn't in her room and she was scared. I saw a really, really poignant TikTok about this from an older gentleman that I don't know what he is. He's a psychologist or something. But he was talking about the fact that we're all looking at this information, knowing all of the knowledge that we know, knowing that a murder occurred that day, and we're looking at her actions, knowing what we know, right? Yes. Okay, if you put yourself in her in her position, knowing what she knew, okay, let's think about it. She heard crying and she heard a dog barking. She thought it was her roommate playing with the dog. And then it's like a girl could be crying. A drunk girl could be crying for any number of reasons. I cried all the time when I was that young. Like that literally shows absolutely nothing. And then she sees this random dude in her house. Okay. Obviously, retrospectively, he was a murderer and really fucking creepy. But their house is a party house. There's people coming and going. I think that they had a noise complaint at one point, and when the cops came over, it was just a bunch of random guys at their house. Like, none of the roommates were even there. So they're used to having random people coming and going in the house. Brian Koberger is terrifying, but, like, maybe from he's, afar, he's, like, could be sort of attractive. Well, I don't he's, know. He's 28, but he's only 5'10". So, like, 
uh, in person, he sound, he actually, like, knowing that, he's probably a small guy, right? Yeah. And, like, Ethan's upstairs. Maybe she knew that. Maybe this is a friend of Ethan's. And also or the mask. Was- this is also Idaho in fucking November, okay? So it's freezing. There's snow everywhere. A guy in a black mask isn't that a ski mask. Like, it's just, it's Idaho. Also, <laughs> like- they, didn't, they didn't say what type of mask it was. Like, my first thought went to it was, like, a COVID, like, a surgical mask. Oh, like, maybe yeah. it was somebody getting in an Uber if they're still wearing masks or something. Like, to me, the mask thing isn't, yeah, or it's a, it's a mask because it's freezing outside. Like, but, like, what infuriates me is people being like, she should have called the cops immediately. Like, she knew it. It's like, she actually didn't. And you're right. She could have been drunk. She could have been half asleep. Like she could have just seen a random dude in her house. That's a house that people coming came and go all the time. We lived together when we were that age Mm -hmm. in a party house with random people all the time, random people coming and going all the time. If I would have woken up after I heard a friend crying in another room and I saw a random guy like leaving, I could have been like, wow, that might've been a guy that she was hooking up with that fucking pissed her off yeah you know like there's so many things that could have happened and that is easily you know what have what could have been in her mind at that point dude totally and like depending on your personality right like maybe she's more of a passive person maybe she's not super tight with one of the girls upstairs like you just there's so much where you're like i'm not gonna fucking insert myself where I don't belong. You don't know the dynamics of these roommates. You don't know how we just don't know. And I agree. Like people hating on her. I'm like, she feels shitty enough. Leave her the fuck oh my alone. God. Dude, she's trying. Her life is like ruined. Anyways. In the survivor's like- guilt. She must feel like, I hope she doesn't. I'm not projecting that on her, but like leave her alone. She lost four of her friends. She was there. She's probably so traumatized. And the last thing she needs is people dragging her. Well, people had already been dragging her as a suspect. Like all these stupid fucking internet sleuths. Yeah, the cops are so dumb. They couldn't rule. Like (sighs) they're ruling them out. So, well, that's another thing that I thought was really interesting because the cops were ruling people out really, really fucking fast. And people are like, why? You know, the ex-boyfriend. Like, why did they rule him out so fast? It's like, because they already knew the guy. (laughs) Because everyone's cell phone says where they are. And if... You're on your phone on TikTok at midnight and not with like they can they can clear people so fast. So I have fast. I have ring cam. We have a ring camera here at our office. We have ring cameras like I'll be like I have ring cameras on my balcony. I'll be like, cops. Just look. I never left. We have cameras well, in the garage like it's super easy to clear people in that case. And also going back to the roommate, uh, I was uh, watching another TikTok from like a psychologist and she was talking about, you know, it's the fight, flight or freeze kind of a thing that people can find themselves in in uh, a moment of terror and, and trauma and confusion. And she was talking about shock in general and how shock can last hours, days, weeks, months. It's like you don't know if, say, she did think that something horrible happened and she thought that she was seeing a murderer in her house like that period of shock could have lasted until the next morning when they finally you know called the cops or somebody finally called the cops we don't know who actually did at that point so I just I hate the judgment and the dragging that goes on for for just this poor fucking girl that is traumatized enough it's also like everyone thinks that they would be brave in these scenarios, but I would not. Like if I if I thought something, I would be so scared that there was still someone there. Yeah. That like there was more than what even if say, say pretend she thought there was a murder. Maybe there's more than two. Maybe there's more than one. And he yeah. she just saw one leave. Like there's a million things that could have been going through her head and like none of us can understand because we weren't fucking there. And it's like we get into this with true crime all the time with people's demeanor and how their 911 calls go and all this kind of stuff. It's like, of course, shoulda, coulda, woulda if it was you, but you weren't in that situation and you weren't the person that was reacting to things. So we don't know. Everybody acts completely differently in situations like that. So it's like you cannot judge somebody for not acting the way that you think that they should act in a situation. What I would like to talk about was whether he saw her. Yeah. And because like we know she saw him because she made a pretty good description. Again, this looks so bad for Brian because it's like what he looks like. Bushy eyebrows like this is this dude. But like, did he see her? And if so, why did he leave her? Like, and what does that mean? He was going after only four people. Like, did he not see her? Like, I'm so confused about what happened there. 
Well, and this is what I think is really interesting, again, about that Facebook account, because there was a post about that. And it's like, why did you think that the killer stopped it for victims? Was it out of exhaustion, knowledge, or whatever the third reason would have been, I guess, just like deciding not to kill the the last two people. But I don't know. You also have to think about he committed these four murders in succession in such a short amount of time. Yeah, like 15 minutes. Like, I... uh, who like god knows like i i don't know he could have just been trying to get out of there really fast because the dog was barking um and that was like his time to escape like i don't know there's like uh, who who knows if he saw her or not i don't know i don't know i'm just the only thing people should be saying about it is thank fucking god she's okay you know? know because like if she saw her there's if he saw her there's no explanation for it and i'm just glad like it's so scary. I get the chills every time I talk about these people. Like, I know. It's awful. Awful. Okay, so back to the timeline. Um, I'll give a quick TLDR because there's a lot in the affidavit about how they tracked down his car, the white Elantra belonging to him at Washington State University. But basically, they ended up tracking his car, leaving Washington State University, driving to Moscow during the time of these murders. And they got him coming back like later that morning and they ended up, you know, looking for white Elantras at the school and they found his car like pretty immediately. I think really it was fast. like a couple days after the murder or something like that. So they, they tracked, they tracked him down quite fast. Mm-hmm. And then I think the next thing after that was trying to get his phone records, right? Yeah. And the phone is really interesting. So again, there's a lot of minutia here, but we'll just boil it down. So he had the wherewithal to turn his phone off when he drove, when the Elantra is first spotted, like on the video cameras around 3.30 that morning, his phone is off. Well, his Uh, phone is on for a while while he's leaving uh, the college. And I think he's, and he is driving for a bit. And then all of a sudden it just loses. He turns it off when he gets close to the house. Right. And then, um, he turns it off. And then when he gets back to the university, it goes back on. Right. But what's interesting is that he returned to the scene at around 9am the following morning. Well, not the following morning, hours later, right? Five, six hours later after he does this, right? He returns to the scene at around 9am and he, forgets to turn his phone off so his phone pings right near the house um yeah and he's also caught on cameras again and jack and i were speculating it's like did he come back because he left the sheath there or did he come back because he wanted to see if the cops had been called yet so this is and the cops hadn't been called at this no. point no wow. and like this also brings back like did he see the roommate Right. Like, did he see the roommate there? Because like, then he's like, why haven't the cops been like, I'm sure he was confused, too, or he didn't see her or he came back to like, I don't know. There are like a lot of question marks here and none of it. It all contradicts each other and none of it makes sense. Yeah, no, that's crazy. I didn't even when I was reading through it, I must have missed that part in the affidavit that he came back. But I guess once they pulled all of his phone records, too, they found out that he had been stalking that house at least i don't know if it was one of the specific girls or what it was that info is not available to us but how often had he got like how many times i think it said 12 times holy shit between i think that they got the phone records from june until november or maybe december and i think it said that he had been on that street 12 different times and most of those times were in the middle of the night i think one was during the day but that definitely confirms that this was not a random targeted house. Like he had been stalking that house at least for I don't some know. reason, for some for reason. some reason or another. Well, and we know that like um, the Golden State Killer, for example, chose his victims based on the house. Like, right? He would be he would need these certain things. He needed like a green belt or an alley behind it. He liked one story houses. Like there were all these things he was searching for, and based on what homeboy was studying, like I think the same thing happened. I mean, there's no obvious connection between any of them and him i think he was like kids are easy they're drunk a lot like i don't know though but because we don't know what he like anything about what his search history was we don't know if he was like stalking them on social media if he was like and this is this was one of those rumors that i don't know what was true or not but i heard that one or two of the girls might have been working at a vegan restaurant or something did you hear really that? no i i heard that i don't know if it was confirmed but like 
I don't know. You've got to think this guy, he's obviously like some sort of an incel too. Like he was fucking weird. He's super creepy. Like he was prop, God knows what he was doing in his alone time, like on his phone and whatever. Like these, especially like Maddie and Kaylee, like there are these two beautiful, young, beautiful girls. Like I can't think that that was just like a random target. No. You know, it, it, it can't. I mean, it's not. And based on the questions he's asking in his weird rogue surveys and Facebook, he has put a lot of thought into this. And it's terrifying, you know, like, yeah, it's so sad. It's so fucking sad. And I'm I was so happy to hear um, they found out about the arrest, I think, the day of Kaylee and Madison's memorial service. And they were having a joint one. And I was like and they were saying we just we were we kept putting it off, putting it off, but it was like seven weeks. And I'm just so fucking happy because I look at those two girls. I'm like, could be me and you Jack back then. Like it's like two best friends. What a scary, sad fucking thing. And I'm just glad they had each other and that Xana had Ethan, but like, holy fuck, this shit makes your blood run cold. Do you think like, what do you think that the police were telling the family? Like were the police releasing any information to the families or was that even too risky to do? No, what I heard was Ethan's brother said they got a call and said that there was news like at 11 PM and that like, but they didn't even tell them what it was. No. And then like, he was like, I didn't sleep all night because I just knew something. Yeah. But no, I don't think so because uh, Kaylee's dad was really vocal. He was going on all the news stations kind of leaving little like breadcrumbs of what he was told, but he still wasn't supposed to say, but no, I do not think they knew shit because I think they knew there'd be, you know, grief stricken family members can, can fuck up an investigation. Are they allowed to, I, I don't know. Emotionally. I agree. Like I get it, but like they knew who he was early on and they said were they knew they were close early on and they just had to take all these punches from everyone saying they were doing a terrible job. But I really don't think anyone knew like that this guy was on the radar. It's just so crazy. It's so cr- like it, uh, nobody's radar like no. whatsoever. But yeah, I mean, they did an incredible job. It, I can't believe how fast they zeroed in on this guy. Like it, it, it's pretty fascinating. Considering and considering the ironclad case, right? Like they could have arrested him in a week, but that's not how science or genetic genealogy or any of these things work. Right. So right. like, this is a fucking tight case against him. And that just took time. Especially because of the fact that obviously um, we know that they had friends come over the next morning that probably contaminated the whole crime scene. Like there, it reminds me of like a John Bonet kind of a thing. It's like there, that could have been really, really fucking bad and ruined all of the evidence that they could have used like for this case. So that makes it equally like even more impressive. But to be honest, he screwed himself over because without that sheath it would have been a lot harder because of all the dna in that house because it's a party house if there wasn't a sheath they would have probably found a a shred of his dna but they would have had to test every surface and eliminate hundreds of samples the only foreign item in there that didn't belong was the sheath yeah so brian like here you go find me in less than two months like if he hadn't left that this would have been way harder yeah no it's so true Oh my gosh, what it's, this is the, one of the craziest, I think one of the craziest stories of our generation. Yeah, it, it really is. And just seeing, you know, him being pulled over. So he was arrested in Pennsylvania at his parents' house where he grew up. And there's all this news footage, like we talked about of him being pulled over by Indiana police. He was pulled over twice in 20 minutes for quote unquote tailgating. And like, you can see the guy's dad, Brian's dad on the body cam. And he's just, I actually like, I feel so bad for him because oh it's God. like the, his last moments of peace, you know, yeah. um, where he could still like enjoy his son and have him in his mind in that way, you know, because holy fuck balls. Like they were, I mean, the FBI has denied that they instructed the Indiana police to pull Did them they? over. I thought that they admitted that they... It keeps going back and forth. I found one article that says, like, they did it on purpose to look at his hands, but I saw articles saying they deny it and that it was just a, a coincidence. I'm like, I don't believe in that. T- it, what, weren't they, like, within 20 minutes of each other? Yes, twice in 20 minutes. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I mean, it had to have been on purpose. It's like, you got to fucking terrify this guy a little bit and, and yeah. see what he does. Like, I heard it's like they were doing it to see if he would 
go on the run. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or to see if he had any like defensive uh, marks was on his body. Calm and collected though. Until when the dad the dad said they're like where are you going and he's like we're driving from washington state university or something and then you see him give him a look because he said something like we're going to chipotle or i can't yeah. remember exactly where he said that they were going so it's like but he is he's he's calm and collected too at the same time it's just it's pretty fascinating because those are like some of the first videos that you're like even seeing of him at all it's just crazy like how many people are coming out of the woodwork being like i knew this guy i went to elementary school with him i went to high school with him like and well, all the t- different perceptions like all the accounts people are sharing are so conflicting well and we are talking about this i think over new year as we're talking about obviously the first degree right like this is kind of the first degree happening in real time of all these people finding out that this person that they knew is this absolute fucking monster and how crazy that that, that is, is to to find out about somebody that you know. So, yeah, it's it really sort of puts our podcast into perspective. Yeah, and I just I'm wondering if anyone's going to come forward like knowing this is who he was, you know, like or what red flags were missed. Like, I mean, but you it's really easy to disguise, it's really easy to hide red flags if you're a criminology student. Yeah. You know, um because all of it can look like research. Like that's reasonable, you know. Yeah. Well, and I, out of all the people that have come out that know him, I, I don't feel like I've seen many people that are like, he was a good friend of mine. It's more so people like he was my TA in class or I knew him in high school. There's, I don't think there's any women that have come out to say that they've dated him or any people that have been like, that was my best friend or somebody that I knew really well. So that's kind of interesting too. Maybe he didn't have anybody really close to him. Doesn't sound like it. No, it's fucking crazy, dude. Ugh. Oh my God. Well, I hope, uh, I'm not going to say you enjoyed this podcast, but like, I hope that, you know, maybe you found something informative. Um, you know, we have been very fascinated and have been following along with every new update that we've been given about it. And I hope that these families can find some, they won't. I just, we're devastated for the families and we're sickened by anyone who's been negatively affected by the publicity of the case. And like, we're here, you know, to set whatever record straight we're reading from the affidavit, you know, and it's like, we just want to encourage everyone to be kind and compassionate to those on the outskirts of this, because it's just like, it's reverberating across the country and it's, it's an unfathomable crime. It really is. Yeah. And if you're out there posting speculative uh, armchair detective TikToks, stop. Stop it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing to kind of like speculate with your friends privately, but like do not put anything out there pub- publicly that can hurt an innocent person. Yeah. You know? Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, we will uh, see you next time. <laughs> see you next time on Killing Time. It'll be lighter, but I'm glad we did this. Hope you enjoyed and we'll see you later. <laughs>